Thank you very much for downloading the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark. I'm delighted to be joined today by Jason, Denise, and Lawrence. Hello. Hi there. Uh, welcome back, Lawrence. It's, it's been ages. It's great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's about two years since I was last with you. Far too long. So the 14th Doctor era has begun with uh, like a little kind of uh, a musée bouche with the Children in Need mini episode, uh, Destination Scarrow. Uh, this is it for such a short episode. I feel like it sort of it packs a lot in, doesn't it? There's a lot of nice little Easter eggs for fans, and it's very kind of deftly sets up the the situation, isn't it? The the, the fact that the Doctor's just regenerated and doesn't know why he's he's in a, a previously a previous incarnation or a, a familiar face. So what uh, what did we all think of this, uh, Jason? Uh, I loved it. Um, uh, I thought it was quite amusing because I think on these Instagram posts to promote it, uh, Russell did say this is definitely not a comedy skit. It's not a comedy skit. It's a full, full-fledged little uh, episode of like uh, Doctor Who drama, and it actually turned out to be quite a comedic, like little uh, episode. Which you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I really thought it was quite funny in places. But yeah, like you said, lots of little like lovely Easter eggs. It was great to see Julian Beach. Uh, again, as as Davros, uh, and um, I thought the the, uh, the comedian actor Malwan Rizwan like did a really really good job because uh, effectively he had a, like a two hander with David Tennant there, and like say um, lots of nice little Easter eggs which we'll probably like discuss later on. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I I liked it a lot. Um, I wasn't able to watch Children in Need live, so I had to pick it up on. Uh, youtube later on but yeah i liked it it was a little bit of a brain twister but uh, these things often are and um enjoyed seeing david tennant again yeah julian leach um bit surprising but uh yeah he uh, i love the voice and i i love his bone structure and everything like that and uh, he's a very powerful actor and yes, it was funny. I'd only seen Marwan before on um, Taskmaster, and he was really good in that a few seasons ago. Yeah, um, worked really well, I thought. Yeah, I was familiar with Marwan Rizwan from Taskmaster as well, but I liked him. I hope that's not all we'll see of him and uh, his character, Castabillion. Uh, it would feel like a little bit of a waste to get somebody with some name recognition and introduce a new character only to have them sort of in that little sequence. But I liked it. I thought it was a, felt a bit shorter than previous Children in Need ones. Um, when Time Crash, one of the first ones, goes on for about 10 minutes. I would have thought this, this felt like it was over and done with very quickly. Um, but it was nice. And as I said, it was nice to see Julian Bleach um, I immediately assumed that it was sort of very early on in the Davros life. Um, I'd not seen at that time the Doctor Who Unleashed. I'd not read any of the things that were going on about it. So I wasn't aware that it was a, a reimagining of Davros. I just assumed that it was earlier in the character's life before the accident that makes him end up looking like the classic Davros that we're very familiar with. Um, but I thought it was good, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really funny. I, I, I thought it was really fun. The way it's directed 
is is quite witty, isn't it? The, um, even just the, having the, the Dalek in the centre of the room and sort of spinning round to look at the TARDIS after it's just uh, you swiped its arm off, and then the way it um, it cuts to the uh, the sucker arm like flicking up at the end as if to show Davros to say like, look, <laughs> um, really uh, really kind of wittily directed like that. It reminded me a little bit of Name of the Doctor at the very start of Name of the Doctor when you've got the two kind of just ordinary guys in on Gallifrey in the Citadel saying oh, somebody's nicking a TARDIS, like why would they nick a broken one sort of thing. Um, just having like a, quite a normal person in this, uh, you know, kind of big epic sci-fi place. Uh, the the character of Castavillian just, just kind of reminded me of that. Like he's just obviously just trying to get through his day. He's got like a bit of a presentation for his boss and stuff. He doesn't like any of his ideas. It's uh, it's it's quite a new series thing, that isn't it? I think. I think we've all been there, haven't we? Yeah. When we've done a presentation <laughs> at work, yeah. <laughs> it's not gone down as well as we thought it would do. And I think for a little uh, or for a short mini sword for children in need, like the budget. It, it seemed quite high budget. You know, you talk about Time Crash Lawrence, which obviously they just used the, the TARDIS set, which is which they've already got, whereas this this looked like quite a Star Wars set, I thought. It looked like something from the Death Star, the way it was lit and the and the materials and everything. It it felt like it was much higher, but maybe that's representative, I suppose, of the new kind of Disney Plus injection of cash or, or whatever, but it felt it felt quite high budget for what it was. Yes, I mean, it is just a, a single-room set, but it looked very... Again, you know, I won't be surprised if we see that again, um, because as you say, it feels it felt expensive. Yeah, because um, previous ones that we've had, we had the uh, I, mean, I think it's unofficially got the title of Born Again, hasn't yeah. it? Which is the two thousand and five children need like a special skit, um, which introduced David Tennant originally the first time round, and then. Um, uh, Matt Smith did a couple for um, I think it was either sport relief or comic relief and they were kind of like most of them were all like kind of like set on the TARDIS because it's a standing set and it keeps like <laughs> you know, the budget low and you know they can like you know do it quickly in a day's filming but it, it, you know they really like kind of like put some money in it even the opening um, FX shot where you see the TARDIS spinning towards Scarrow and I thought it was a really nice touch because you kind of like got the dark side of Scarrow, with obviously it, it shaded and, and lit on the other side of the sun, but you can see they put the detail of like the bombs going off on the surface. You could see like you know the explosions going off on, on Scarrow's surface as the TARDIS was spinning towards the planet. You know that, that attention to detail that you know most viewers are going to miss, but I thought that was really good because you know we're told in Genesis of Daleks that there's heavy bombardment on the planet's surface it's been going on for years and years and that it's just constant all the time so I thought that was a really nice touch and you know we wouldn't have probably got like an FX shot like that previously so they have thrown a bit of money at it and it's red like the start of the TV movie isn't it when the TV movie starts and you see Scarrow and so it's a really red planet and it's you know you get the voiceover and everything which is a, a nice bit of continuity from that and the subtitle says "warp warp" as the TARDIS is heading towards Scar as well, which I always love to see. A, I always love to see a warp <laughs> subtitle. <laughs> uh, sometimes it says TARDIS thrumming, and it, it's just not as evocative, is it? No, no, it's not. I mean, does the TARDIS play a musical instrument? I don't know, but uh, yeah, <clears throat> I, I like a good warp. 
it's another thing that Doctor Who uh, Weekly gave to us, which you know, we'll, we'll find out like what else he's going to give to us in a couple of days. <laughs> uh, it's Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. I, I thought it was a lovely, a lovely little piece. So, say, my only real surprise about it, I think, was was that it was so short. But they, I say, they packed so much into it. It was lovely to see an old style Dalek as well, the prototype. Um, sort of one with the with the little bumps and sort of looking very much like they did. I haven't gone back and looked, but I'm pretty sure that is how they looked in Genesis, isn't it? When they first showed yeah, yeah it. I've recently watched Genesis because on my rewatching, I've just finished Brain of Morbius. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a Genesis Dalek that they had in the middle. Uh, they even like the, the colours matched and obviously I know there's different like variations of the grey you know like in Destiny and Resurrection and all the sorts but but that was a Genesis Dalek it, it was uh, good attention to detail from the production scene um, we get the note that it's it's a bonded polycarbide shell which is from Remembrance of the Daleks and then the Ruby Ray Laser which I didn't recognise this um, this reference at all and this is this is a pretty deep cut. I looked this up, and it it's from a game called Tardis Teaser in the two thousand and five Doctor Who annual, which even the Tardis wiki doesn't consider to be canon because um, because it has the ninth Doctor battling the Daleks, which he didn't know until his last story that there were multiple Daleks around. So they've they've said, well, this isn't even canon, and that's the only reference I can find to this uh, this ruby razor the uh, ruby ray laser thing so that <laughs> that is a very very uh, obscure reference indeed i think but it is now but a uh, strange name i thought because um tardic the uh, dalek rays they tend to be more kind of blue don't they which uh, mm. yeah. well he did say that the timelines of the canon are collapsing didn't he yeah. like uh, <laughs> making a hasty exit so yeah <laughs> who knows yeah, but you can't. You can only use that excuse once, I hope. <laughs> uh, maybe the best Easter egg was hearing uh, Nida's voice over the over the tannoy as well, which uh, was a really good approximation, I thought, of, of Peter Miles. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, I actually thought for a minute it, it, it was Peter Miles, but I mean, whoever they got in to do Peter Miles's dialogue, or whether they've done something very clever, because I know. Peter Miles recorded um, other appearances as uh, NIDA with the uh, Big Finish iDavros series, uh, whether they use some AI technology to string like the sentence together, like using dialogue from like little snippets of like audio of Peter Miles, but it was very, very clever I thought, and a nice little Easter egg. Yeah, I read someone's comment on Twitter that uh, that was like uh, NIDA's code and him and Dav Davros are going out on a date. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I don't know if, if the rest of you noticed, but um, the original claw, the one that gets broken off, um, and I just happened to look at this because I was talking on a, a Doctor Who Discord group that I'm a, a member of, and just saying, you know, because they were talking about the kind of like, well, hold on, if it's pre-accident Davros and Davros is in the Mark One travel machine after he's had his accident, and this is the Mark Three travel machine. And this was obviously before the Unleashed was um, 
broadcast or, or dropped onto iPlayer. It was like, oh, you know, watch how come it, that Dalek's looking like that Dalek and it should look like an earlier version. And I just did a quick Google search for um, uh, Raymond Cusack's original design of the Dalek. And obviously it's quite different because there's hexagonal like segments instead of like the normal, like, you know, the, the balls on, on, on the skirting that you have. But the one thing I noticed that looked very similar to what we saw in the special was that the claw was basically the same with the the sections and then obviously a bit coming out in the middle. But if someone's done that, that's a really, really nice touch and that's a, an Easter egg that probably not a lot of people yeah. are going to pick up on that. That The claw is identical to Raymond Cusack's original design of the claw before they replaced it with the sink plunger. Yeah, I mean, I when I saw that, I, I thought... Well, all they haven't done yet is put the rubberization over it. I thought we were going to, that was sort of what's within the plunger. Ah, was, yeah. But the other thing it reminded me of is it looks very similar to the um, Dalek Master Plan Mission to the Unknown Dalek Fire, uh, fire Flamethrower. Uh, I thought there was a similar thing there. I've, I've always quite liked that when they have put something different to the plunger in the Dalek. I quite like that there might be more specialised things, but then it sort of gets thrown away as uh, as it gets torn off when the TARDIS arrives. Well, that claw thing, it would have been a health and safety nightmare, really, wouldn't it? I mean, it would have been catching on your fascist uniform jacket as you passed it in the corridor, and it would be... Always scraping holes in the wall and stuff like that. It wouldn't have been good. I, the plunger is a lot more benign. I really that. Well, with the the new paradigm Daleks, one of the ideas that that they had that, that we didn't get to see uh, at all realised was that the uh, there was going to be sort of a, a container on the back, wasn't there? That um, different attachments could come round and 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 um, come round the the the. the yeah, that central ring on the Dalek's body. Yeah, and and then use it for different things, which which would have been quite cool to see, I think. A, a Swiss Army Dalek. Yeah, yeah, because that's why the, the, it had the extra like the hump at the back, isn't it? Because mm. that was like say part of the original like idea, but uh, it never came to fruition, did it? Yeah, I suppose uh, everything's kind of got gone sort of like nano since then, hasn't it? You know, like um, like Iron Man's suit became a lot less kind of mechanical and, and, you know, became about kind of nanoparticles or whatever. And, and even the, the Transformers in the movies, um, I didn't really like that when they, they went from that very kind of mechanical transformation to just sort of becoming nanoparticles and, and reforming as, as robots or vehicles. Uh, you know, if uh, Doctor often kind of follows trends like that, doesn't it? Maybe uh, had the new Paradigm Daleks took off, they would have, uh, they would have gone down that route instead. It might be something that, obviously, you know, because I think Russell's made, whilst he's been doing the, the promotions this week, running up to um, the specials, he's uh, he, he's kind of like said, don't expect the Daleks for a while. You know, we're giving them a bit of a rest. And I think, you know, is he giving us a bit of a red herring there and they'll turn up at some point? Or is he just generally saying that they're a bit overused and it's time to give them like a bit of a rest for a series or two? Um but when they do return, um, I wouldn't be surprised if they had some kind of like nanotechnology and like the 
the sink, the, the, the plunger arm turned into like a, a claw through nanotechnology or then turned into something that could then, you know, um, like input into like a computer console, you know, whether it became more like multitask, mm-hmm. like say a Swiss Army kind of like style application rather than just like the standard um, plunger. It'd be nice if they did something like that, like that, that evolution there. Yeah, they certainly worked hard under Russell T. Davis's first run on the show to to make the plunger do other things. Um, I'm trying to remember the episode title, but when the when the Daleks first come back from the from the to the prison, um, and they're using it to um, they put the plunger onto the data pad. Yeah. So that it can sort of quickly run through all the the codes to undo the door. I think they onto a computer to do that, and obviously they they use it to suffocate people and uh, draw out their lives. So it would be it would be interesting to see them add another string to the Dalek bow uh, in in modifying the plunger in some way. Yes, to see a Dalek with a single hand instead of a plunger, how creepy would that be? Because <laughs> hands are quite useful. Yeah, as you said, I know you've talked about resting them for a while, but I think any time you've got a new Doctor and we're getting Shooty Gatwa obviously next year, it's kind of uh, a bit of a rite of passage, isn't it, for for a new Doctor to meet the Daleks for the first time? So you know, we I, you wouldn't imagine it would be too long before before the 15th Doctor gets a Dalek story, but then, you know, did they kind of, you know, draw out the anticipation of that, I suppose? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, it's kind of like we've we've seen the location shots and stuff of the first series that's already in the can. Um, so if they have got the Dalek somewhere, then obviously it's something that's been filmed on, in, you know, in studio and they're not on the location. So, you know, if they are in the first series, you know, we'll find out then. But if they do turn up in the second series and they do, like, obviously not have them in Shooty's first series, then perhaps, like, we might see them on location and there might be a redesign or something. I don't, I don't know. It's that kind of thing. I think it's the kind of thing that Russell would be very good at wanting to promote to, like, keep that anticipation and that excitement going. Because I remember um, they gave the um, first look of the uh, bronze Daleks when they were filming, um, you know, the Christopher Atkinson and Dalek episode. Uh, and it was being filmed, I think, in, in Cardiff uh, um, Stadium. Um, so obviously, because they knew they were going to be on location, they literally, like, gave, like, you know, the tabloids, like, first shot, as in, here you go, here's the new Daleks. You know, they've been redesigned slightly. They're more like a, like, like a tank, they're modernised. You know, so um, I think Russell will probably, when the Daleks do turn up and if they have been redesigned, um, you know, he'll take that opportunity to, like, keep the, promoting the show and keep it in the public eye. Yeah. I wonder if he, he maybe even goes the other way with the look of them and that this is a little hint from the Children in Need special. But I guess that goes back to the origins of, uh, of the Daleks and Davros's design of them, and the Doctor is now inadvertently part of that by sort of giving Castavillian the plunger as uh, by way of an apology for destroying the claw. I wonder if we'll maybe go back and see older versions of, of the Daleks 
like uh, Disciple Men. Or even a, mm. a Genesis type story, type revisioning. Because obviously the big the big thing that we've sort of and they brushed him on so far is is the fact that Davros is no longer the Davros who he grew up with. It's uh he it's we can see him clearly. I mean he still has the cadaverous look of of Davros, but he's no longer the the twisted scientist blown up by a Thal bomb. Yeah, so you say I think I think when we watched the episode, a lot of people assumed it was before he was injured in the in the accident or the bomb, uh, and, and before he's uh, you know he's in the the support system or anything. But the the interview with Russell T Davis in Doctor Who Unleashed, which is the new incarnation of uh, Doctor <coughs> Doctor Who Confidential, which we which we had previously, um, you've got the the quote from this, Jason. I have indeed. <laughs> <laughs> you read it, it's quite lengthy. Um, but it was intersped with like some clips as well. But this is the quote in full of what Russell T. Davies said. I will not do it in a Welsh accent. <laughs> okay, so he said, We had a long conversations about bringing Dad Ross back because he's a fantastic character. Time and society and culture and taste has moved on. And there's a problem with the Dad Ross of old. And that he's in a wheelchair. He's a wheelchair user who is evil. And I had problems with that and a lot of us on the production team had problems with that of associating disability with evil and trust me there's a very long tradition of this i'm not blaming people in the past at all but the world changes and when the world changes doctor who has to change as well so we made the choice to bring back davros without the facial scarring and without the wheelchair or the support unit which functions as a wheelchair I say this is how we see Davros now. This is what he looked like. This is 2023. This is our lens. This is our eye. Things used to be black and white. They're not in black and white anymore. And Davros used to look like that. And now he looks like this. And that uh, we are absolutely standing by. I think because it's Children in Need Night, it's a night where issues of disability and otherness or being excluded from society, come right to the front of conversations. So of all nights to make this change, I thought it was absolutely vital to do this. And I'm very, very, very proud of the fact we have. So you think that's on social media, certainly what set the cat among the pigeons, where I think people... Uh, as when we had the child Davros in The Magician's Apprentice, they thought, well, this is this is Davros pre, uh, you know, pre being kind of badly injured. But I think, yeah, it's the comments about that's how we're going to see Davros from now on that have uh, that have kind of uh, upset a portion of, of Doctor Who fandom. Or I don't know, I've kind of seen a lot of people who say, well, it, it's okay depending on how it's written. So, like, if there's an explanation, like it's a he's cloned himself because he's a, an incredible geneticist or whatever, or he's. Uh, you know, it's the it's the Time Lord regeneration energy that he stole from the Twelfth Doctor in uh, in the Witches Familiar, whatever. So, uh, what 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 do we all think of the news, uh, Jason? Um, well, I mean, the first question you kind of like come to is like, obviously, if, if you're going to open potentially that can of worms, um, you know, I would probably ask, well, did you have any kind of like discussions with people of you know wheelchair users 
before you decided to bring the character back because whenever the character's been returned, and obviously he had a famous return back in 2008, uh, part of the Stolen Earth um, Journey's End two-parter, and then obviously we um, Stephen Moffat brought him back as well for Peter Capaldi's second season as well. And I don't recall, um, social media was more a thing, obviously, um, for the second appearance. But I don't recall any kind of discourse or anything from uh, Twitter or Facebook or or threads or forums of the character being problematic. Um, so my obvious question would be, if you knew that there's a potential issue with this character in today, in 2023, why use the character in this episode? Why not perhaps have Nida and Castavillian having the discussion and have Davros on the tannoy saying, Nida, I need to see you now. And therefore, you're kind of like avoiding the whole, like, you know, potential kind of worms that you're going to open with this. Because, yeah, you are going to get the people on one side who are going, oh, my God, Doctor, who's gone woke? It's gone woker than it's ever been before, you know, which is like not true. But, yeah, we're not denying that there is a trope um, in media, drama, fiction, of evil characters, um, you know, having either facial um, you know, disabilities or disabilities of, of some kind or other. Um, I don't think Doctor Who's ever had much of a problem much of an issue with that as much as other like kind of like forms of media have. I know mean, James Bond's had quite a thing, and even like No Time to Die, which was the last James Bond film that came out. The two main villains in that film had facial scarring, and I know there was quite a lot of like you know discussion um, online about that, saying is this relevant in 2021 that we're still having a blowfeld with the big scar down the side and Safin, which was Rami Malek's character, being completely like scarred on one side of his face. And so I'm not sure whether Russell's done himself any favours here by opening up this kind of um, can of worms and when it perhaps really didn't need to be done. You know, if you see the character as problematic, then... Perhaps it's just better to rest the character rather than kind of like wipe the continuity of the the existing continuity of that character. I wonder in terms of in terms of that, if they'd used Nida, he wouldn't have the kind of general public recognition that Davros does for a, a, you know sort of a children in need, uh, you know, kind of potential kind of big audience from that who are kind of maybe you know casual viewers or whatever. Um, but do you think maybe he has just kind of done it for publicity because Davros? He's only been used, like you say, twice since the series came back, which is like 18 years now, isn't it? Um, so even if he potentially doesn't have any plans to bring Davros back, and those those comments are quite sort of like, well, that's what he looks like now. But for all we know, it is mainly to, it could be to grab headlines because he's a sort of master publicist as well, as we're saying, isn't he? Oh, I mean, definitely, you know, he's... But if he was using it for publicity purposes, I think they would have publicised the fact that Davros was in the... The episode beforehand that all they did is they publicized that it was going to feature um the dalek and um you know marwan you know mm. it, the julian bleach wasn't in any kind of the promotion beforehand at all so 
Um, you know, it, yeah, Russell T Davis is an extremely clever man, you know, um, and he's great at, you know, opening these kind of debates. He did something similar with um, the promotion or, uh, of It's a Sin um, when he opened the debate of whether, uh, you know, just gay actors should play gay roles, you know, which, um, you know, again, that's a controversial opinion because acting is acting. And if you're going to, like, you know, narrow the field of, like, just a particular group of people can only play a particular group, uh, you know, role in drama... But he knew what he was doing. He was opening the debate. And I think perhaps he's, he's just done that here. He's, he's decided to use this as the platform to open the debate about the trope that you have in fiction of, you know, people with disability or people with scarring, you know, who are sometimes written and perceived as, as villains. Yeah, I mean, I, I found it interesting. I, um, for listeners out there who don't know, and, uh, I'm a wheelchair user and live with a lifelong chronic health condition. And I have never looked at Davros as a character as somebody necessarily with a disability. Um, I don't see his life support system as a wheelchair. I see it as a it's as a mobility aid, which is the way we should see wheelchairs and and the light canes, walking aids, anything like that. Um, and, and I have to say, as I say, Davros has never bothered me. Also, when I was watching the episode, my first reaction was, yes, this is Davros prior to the accident. And that's an interesting thing to see. And maybe it would be quite nice to sort of retrofit his relationship with the doctor so we'd see some more of that. Then it became clear that that was a new view that we were going to get of Davros. He wasn't going to be in his life support chair anymore. And I thought, well, actually, I'm not bothered about that. What's bothered me about this is the Russell T. Davis statement. I, I found it poorly articulated. Um, as a wheelchair user, I found it a bit patronising that he, that he was saying, I, I found this difficult. Well, to be fair, I don't care whether he finds it difficult or not. To me, that sounds, and I'm sure this isn't what he's saying, it does sound like I am uncomfortable with wheelchair users. Now, obviously, that's not the case. I know that in Star Beast, for example, we're going to be seeing Ruth Maidley, who's a very prominent wheelchair user and actress, and I do wonder if there was some discomfort there within the production team to feel that. But there is, as he says, there is a very long history of associating disability and physical difference that isn't necessarily a disability. So the case of scarring uh, with either the villain trope or the victim trope is the other one. Those are the two big things. Occasionally, you can also see it as sort of a, 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 a denotation of a heroic character. But it's far, far more common. And he's not really moved away from that. I mean, the Julian Bleach still, you're, you're not going to say that Davros 
is a handsome man. Um, he, he's physically unappealing in the way that he's presented in that episode, sort of stooped, cadaverous, the dark sunken eyes. And I am sure, I felt sure that I had read somewhere many years ago that the Davros prior to his accident is meant to have been quite a good-looking man. Now, I've gone back to the original Terence Dick's novelization, and there's nothing actually in there about it. They sit quite closely to the script when, well, Sarah Jane doesn't know that he's Davros and what he is when she first meets him in the wasteland, but when the Doctor and Harry are in the laboratory and Davros first presents the Mark III travel machine to the assembled scientists, uh, Harry sort of asks what's happened, and he's told that Davros was sort of involved in a Thal bombing of his facility, and, but then on sheer willpower survives and builds his his life support machine. Um, and I'd always found Davros to be quite a strong, positive in some ways, representation of disability because he's not defined by his disability. He's not evil because he has a disability. He is evil and he has a disability. Uh, and I think that in some ways, Russell Sears hasn't handled that discussion well. If, if it were, maybe they did talk to disability representative groups about this. Um, but I would like to know a bit more about the discussion that went on. As I say, just his argument about it, or it made us feel uncomfortable, times have changed, feels just as patronising in its own way uh, to me as as if you were saying, well, yes, he's, he's an evil person in a wheelchair. It's, it, it didn't quite ring true. And they have been, I've seen on social media, some arguments and say, well, this maybe is pressure from Disney um, coming with a view to selling the series around the world, increasing its appeal in world markets, that they wanted Davros in some ways softened. Because um, I, I think it's, it's quite a it's quite a powerful image to have this near equal, if not equal, to the Doctor. I mean, Davros is right up there with the Master, the Doctor's principal nemesis. Um, to have that figure be limited physically, and it's simply their mind and their will that it, it makes them so I'm, I'm still feeling a bit torn. As I say, I have no general objection in principle with it. It's the way that it was spoken about by Russell T. Davis, which sort of put my back up a little bit. Um, I would like to know more. Maybe we'll learn more in the future. There might be an interview that goes into it a bit more about the discussions um, that do that. But maybe, I mean, there's no, it's no bad thing to, to revamp Davros. Um, and let's be fair, the show, after 60 years, has done its fair share of revamping and retelling and reimagining. This is a pretty big one, but 
it was never a series that designed to run 60 years. So why not revamp things? Why not give the actor who's pretty good at playing Davros a chance to do it without having to do it under a ton of latex and sat down all the time? Um, so as I say, generally I have no issue with it as, a, as an idea. It's the things around it which have given me pause. That was really, really, I mean, that really sort of crystallised a lot of the things that have been going through my mind since I started reading all of the bits around it and some of the comments on Twitter. And, um, yeah, it it would have been fine, of course, to say that this was Davros before the accident appearing in this mini-episode. But then, of course, that would have been a bit timey-wimey because... That was a Mark III travel machine, you know, and so it would have had to have been a much earlier Dalek, arguably, if that was to be true. But of course, going forward into the current timeline, yes, why not? Davros could absolutely clone himself or reconstruct himself or make himself as a fully functioning android with his own mind and his own brain because he, he's got the technology. He can do that. Um and again, that would have been fine. Why wouldn't he do that? Um, as to the idea, I mean, yes, it's true. There are a lot of tropes of uh, disabled people, dis disfigured people having, um, being villains in, well, Doctor Who's had its share as well. It's had its share as Jacks and things like that. But then in a lot of cases, and I think with Davros, this is the case as well. The accident and what they have to live with, whether it's self-inflicted or it's just happened to them, I mean, that's got to do something to your brain. And in some cases, it sends you mad. Shara's Jack, I think, was mad. And so, um, yeah, it's got to affect you. And if it takes you off the path of being a, being a true hero, then that's no surprise. But... So, yeah, it's a lot to think about. And Lawrence has summed it up much, much better than I ever could. But, uh, yeah. One, one little thing I thought about the Mark III appearing. I mean, if you are going to say that that is immediately before the bomb went off, you could argue that Davros had actually created the Dalek casing. The Thal bomb hits very, very shortly after the scene we see, he then has the Dalek casing in his mind. And it isn't a case of the Dalek is inspired by Davros's life support. It's the life support who was in fact inspired by the casing, which he'd just finished making before it gets destroyed in the bombing attack. Although if the bombing attack is now sort of no longer part of the canon but that could be i mean what the doctor's referring to when he says sort of timelines change um timelines are no longer canon i, I don't really have an issue still got a few years I, I just hope it doesn't go too far the other way well yes i mean we've had our fixed points in time and now we've got the canon is in a state of flux i mean can't have it both ways can we yeah. leading up to something bigger that the new doctor the uh 
September 15 will will deal with in his story arc. Maybe there is a bigger thing going on. Yeah, I mean, this could tie into the whole reason of why they've rebranded, um, you know, a lot of Doctor Who in general as the Hooniverse. There's there's quite a few rumours out there that we're going to be seeing potentially like a multiverse of Doctor Who. Um, and I think that's very clever how in um, the Tales from the TARDIS, uh, um, the Seventh Doctor says, you know, when A says you look older, well, you know, in some timelines I regenerate, sometimes I grow older, sometimes I, you know, I don't regenerate. It's almost as if saying this is an alternate version of the Seventh Doctor that we're seeing through, you know, who's kind of like sidelined into this universe to like talk, come back and talk to Ace. Um, it's interesting, Lawrence, with what you said about how, obviously how you felt about Russell T. Davis's comments. And I do think, potentially, I think Russell T. Davis is kind of like misunderstood or he's like, as you said, he's not communicated his, his reasons correctly because he does say, obviously, there's a problem with the Davros of old in that he's a wheelchair user who is evil. Now, if you look at Davros and like you say about how his origins came to be, he's not evil because he's in the support machine. He was evil before that accident happened, you know, because he was a geneticist. He was like, you know, he was intent on, you know, wiping out the fouls as part of the Khalid, you know, of, you know, war against them. So he, he wasn't, like evil because of the accident then it's just that the accident then gave him the inspiration to then create the daleks and then put the daleks of the of what the the calids would ultimately become in the casing of the mark three travel machine you know um sharon's jack uh denise you've said like yeah he became mad because of what happened to him and you could say that obviously that's a result of the what he went through, and that's a result of his scarring. Well, then if you look at a character like Magnus Greel, Magnus Greel was absolute, like, evil, an evil dictator who then, obviously, in his attempts to escape from the 51st century, only then becomes scarred by travelling back in time. So his scarring isn't a trait of him being evil. It's as a consequence of that. So it's it's interesting that I think Russell T. Davis is kind of like, quite strangely for a big Doctor Who fan, he's either misunderstood the character of Davros or, like you say, he's not really communicated his his explanation correctly. But, you know, you know I've not got a problem with it being changing because, you know, if this is Davros going forward, then that's fine. You know, a lot of us know, like, you know, the media that we were into, like Marvel or, or you know, comics or or whatever, we're used to things being rebooted, rechanged, reimagined. You know, it's all part of kind of like, you know, how these characters live on. Um, but, yeah, I just think the way he's kind of like communicated the justification for it hasn't helped the debate at all. Yeah, certainly. I, I mean, I've deliberately now sought out social media comments and sort of comments on Facebook posts, and I've yet to find somebody at, who has said, I am a wheelchair slash mobility aid user, and I found this to be problematic. Loads of people who've said, actually, no, we, 
we'll miss that. Um, I found one. There was one on my timeline. Um, it's not anybody that I follow, but it was retweeted and as a like justification of the change. But like yeah. you say, my timeline was full of like you know lots of people able-bodied or people with a disability who basically said, I don't agree with this change because it's not needed. We, we've never seen the character as problematic as what Russell is kind of like making it out to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think as, as Doctor Who fans, we, we can't complain about a character changing appearance, really, can we? It's uh, you know that that side of it we can't we can't <laughs> complain about. Not really. <laughs> but I, I did wonder if if and and obviously you know I'm not putting words in in Rusty Davies' mouth here or anything, but you, you know sort of rather than associate Davros with with wheelchair users, whether it's kind of the other way around a little bit. I was thinking off the top of my head, um, Alan Partridge, Phoenix Knight. And Little Britain all have kind of bits where a wheelchair user is referred to as Davros, and whether his concern or or the general concern might be more that wheelchair users are children and things like that might be you know might be kind of bullied or or that kind of side of things. I'm just uh, just kind of speculating here, but it it you know in those comedy shows, which have been some of the big comedies of the last few years, it is maybe kind of a bit of a lazy shorthand sort of thing, or a, or a kind of a cruel joke. I. I, I agree with you. Yes, I've, I've heard that. Um, but I also think that in some ways it reflects society a little bit, those those kind of jokes. Um, I have I've had people, not people I don't know, strangers don't tend to do it, but people I know sort of, I've sort of said, oh, I'm going to the Comic-Con, and people said, oh, well, you cosplaying as a Dalek, or... Thing. And actually, if I were to go and do cosplay, that's probably what I would go as because it is a bit limited. Um, so, and I always thought out the Davros, a good Davros would be a good cosplay if you're a, a wheelchair user. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily have an issue with those kind of jokes. They can be cruel, and certainly, I mean. For all that we love it and we're, we're adult, Doctor Who is primarily aged at a at a younger audience. And yes, perhaps at that stage in your life, you are more vulnerable to that kind of at the lightest teasing, at the at the worst part, sort of deliberate cruelty, and that can have more of an effect on you. So maybe to remove a character who you who could easily be used as a sort of stick to beat people with is, is not a bad thing. Uh, as I say, it, it is the way the, the, that it was, that Rusty chose to communicate it, um, but uh, perhaps left something wanted. And I, I mean, he talks about it in that, but... So Doctor Who used to be black and white, now it's in colour. I think that's a a strange sort of analogy to make. I mean, that was simply the advance of television technology. I mean, we know we have CGI now, where we used to have physical effects. That's a completely different argument. Yeah, um, that comment really puzzled me because he's almost as if he was saying that. Well, Doc, Doctor Who either used to be you have your good characters or your bad characters, or you know, it's black or white, 
and now it isn't. But when you look at the character of Davros, he isn't necessarily a black and white character. And Doctor you know, Who has never been like that anyway. There's always been nuances. Yeah, of course. The, the best thing, is, I think it was Will, William Goldman, the famous screenwriter, who said that the best thing about writing like a villain is that you, the worst mistake that you can make when you're writing a villain is that they know they're the villain. Because, you know, let's face it, you know, Adolf Hitler probably didn't think the things he was doing was bad. You know, everybody else thought he was an evil asshole, But in his mind, he was doing the right thing, you know, and th- then that's the kind of thing that well, how you should write a villain. Davros probably doesn't think he's the villain of the story. To him, yeah, he's the hero of the story yeah. because he thinks he's saving the Khalid race. Yeah. In so, the early days, in the later stories, he's he is insane, isn't he? Yeah, of course. He's but not a well money. Yeah, but to say that he's a black, it's a black and white character when a character like Davros has such a nuance about him. And mo- to be fair, most Doctor Who villains do have quite a nuance. You know, they're not the standard like mustache twirling villains that you sometimes get in other um, shows or films or media. He's he's very nuanced, and to say that he's black and white, I think he's kind of again misunderstanding the character. Uh, I mean, I haven't read. I, I tend to stick to the TV series for my doctor knowledge. So, a lot of the audio things and the the sundry written material that goes around the show that fleshes everything out are things I'm quite unfamiliar with. But in preparing for our chat this evening, I did have a little look through sort of some of the outlines of the audio adventures, and there definitely does seem to be a a clear path that that Davros is on, but one which he, as you say, he's very much the hero in his mind for for, um, and it's a a, a, more, a sort of an origins long origin story of how Davros becomes Davros and uh, and is moulded by the exterior all the external influences and living in a war zone um, for his entire life in the in the Carlyle War. He, he's born into a war that's been going on for nearly a thousand years um, between them and the Thals. And if you start reading or looking at the background of that, there's no nobody is entirely right and nobody is entirely wrong in, in that world. Um, so it's a, a very morally ambiguous place to come from. And maybe it's a surprise that it produces somebody along the lines of Davros. I think we'll almost certainly will hear more about it because Russell T. Davis isn't shy about talking about his uh, his work in Doctor Who. He's he's his column in the Doctor Who magazine. He does, you know, this week he's been on the One Show and BBC Breakfast and everything. So I'm sure uh, we'll get maybe some more background, hopefully, and, and, you know, some more kind of fleshed out thoughts on that. Yeah, I hope we do. I hope we do because I... As I say I have no problem with it as a general change to the to the universe, but it, it's been his explanation which has been more problematic than yeah. 
the, the, the basic thing that's happened in the show. You could probably have got away without really making any comment on it. Just stick at a, a throwaway line as sort of dab Ross, you're up and about kind of thing. And he goes, yes, I regenerated my legs after you pulled me out of the chair last time. I recognized that was a weakness. So I've now made it so you can't do that again. Something sort of very, it could have been handled very simply. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Russell T. Davis, when he brought the show back in 2005, had the best idea, like probably one of the best ideas in the show ever, which is the time war. You know, which rewrites timelines and and uh, puts planets out of existence and puts them back in and and races and, and exactly and a lot of the continuity errors, um, you know, when you know you kind of like come up against them, you know, when you're watching the show or you're watching like an old episode, you just think, ah, so the, yeah, that's the time war. The time war's done something to that. It's, it's an easy thing to use, and like you say, you could have just dropped a, a line of dialogue in there. You know, it would have been so simple. That's what so, makes me wonder if it if it's more for publicity. The 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 thing that you know he didn't really need to say. Well, this is how Davros looks from now on. Uh, you know, because as I say he's 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 only had like three appearances in the last thirty five years, so it could be you know it's kind of one a decade. We might might not see him again for ages. <laughs> That's what makes me think it was maybe more for you know kind of headlines but yeah we'll uh we'll, we'll see i guess time will tell it always does yeah. as the seventh doctor says <laughs> greyhound leader to trap one emergency alert to all radar stations if, if it was down to the whole thing of like you know the representation of of disabilities or you know how things are perceived and like we've already discussed you know no, no one seems to have ever had a problem with the character of davros you know, um, but, you know, I think they should have really, like, just focused on, you know, the positive representation of people with disabilities. Uh, as you said, Lawrence, you know, we've got Ruth Maidley, um, who is a fantastic actress who's, um, you know, going to be in the specials. And I think she might be in a couple of the specials because, obviously, I believe she's a member of UNIT. She's a scientific advisor. So I think UNIT's going to run through the free specials. And you've got the uh, the wonderful lad who was actually a co-host on Children in Need Night. Uh, Lenny Rush, um, he's going to be in Shooting Atwas, um, you know, first series as well. Um, I don't think they've said what kind of character he's going to be playing, but um, yeah, so, you know, you should really like not focus on, you know, what's gone in the past and more like kind of like push the positive representation that you've got going forward. I think that would have been a better uh, angle to uh, to uh, probably promote. Yeah, yeah, that would have been an easier way to do it, I think. Yeah, I mean, I was watching Genesis of the Daleks and, you know, there's the scene where the Doctor and Sarah go with Nida into the office with the safe in it. And Nida says, only Davros knows the combination to this safe. And uh, the Doctor's like, yeah, right, he can't even reach it. <laughs> he can't get up out of his chair, you know. And it's like, yes, the, you know, that's an issue that wheelchair users face. But so he needs some help to do certain things. You know, but uh, he is not a wheelchair user. I have never thought of him in that way, although obviously he has some of the day-to-day -day challenges. Could have been just a, that he was short. I mean, we've, we've had you know, we've had small characters before. I think uh, characters like Banner Cafalata. And Porridge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm pretty tiny myself. I can't always reach the top shelf. <laughs> 
uh, maybe I need to shut when I can't reach things in the supermarket. I need to shout that I'll exterminate people if I don't get help soon. Where <laughs> <laughs> I've been going wrong. But no, it was nice to see it back. I enjoyed it. It's led to some interesting discussions online that I've sort of read or taken part in and this podcast tonight. And it's a nice, as you say, said at the beginning, Mark, a nice amuse bouche for the specials coming. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And tomorrow night's. Well, we record this on Wednesday the 22nd, so we've got the 60th birthday tomorrow and the things that will be coming to uh, television to celebrate that. Yeah, the Doctor Who themed bargain hunt. I can't wait for it. <laughs> it's not oh, you were talking about that. All right. everything, is it? <laughs> Some things I'm just going to have to let slide. <laughs> but um, colourised uh, first Dalek story, definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, and it does look awesome. Um, I saw a clip on uh, Twitter. Uh, I think Russell had been on one of the morning shows this morning, and he had an exclusive clip. And it does look, you know, there's a thing, there's a kind of like thing around like colorized uh, black and white material. It always looks rubbish. Always look like washed out. Uh, but this really looks absolutely marvelous. Like what they've done to it. Um, so they really like, they have thrown some money at it. It really does look uh, awesome. Looking forward to that. Yeah. yeah, the stills look amazing. I, I'm so used to growing up in the 80s with that colorized video where it, everybody's skin was pink. <laughs> they always wearing brown. Yeah, <laughs> and, and all the colors, which if they moved too quickly, the color couldn't quite keep up with it. They would drift off their faces. Or, <laughs> like so, But no, it does look very lovely. So we're really spoiled this year, aren't we? We are. Very lucky people. And Jason, you and US Jason are going to cover the colorized Dalek on a on a Trap One podcast coming up. I so, believe so. Yes, we will be doing. Listen out for Looking that. Looking forward one. to it. Yeah. Uh, and as I said before, it's nice to have Doctor Who Unleashed. I think I, I used, always used to enjoy Doctor Who Confidential, so it's good that we've we've got that going forward as well. We've got access to the cast and the crew and the writers and everything. So I always think uh, it's it's great to get that kind of behind the scenes stuff, which we're really used to as Doctor Who fans since the. The DVD range started really, aren't we? That you know, having that kind of uh, behind-the-scenes content—it's uh, it's a big part of being a fan now. I think I'm going to have to shut myself away in my den cave and watch a lot of it because I think David's tolerance threshold is going to be reached <laughs> quite quickly over the next few weeks. <laughs> Poor chap, you know, he's been through a lot. <laughs> but you know, I think my uh, season twenty. Blu-ray extras, they, they broke him. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, all, and uh, thank you very much for listening at home. Join us next time for The Star Beast. In the meantime, you can find all our previous episodes at trap1.podbean.com or on your favourite podcatcher. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a star rating or a review to help other Doctor Who fans find the podcast. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Yeah, <laughs>